Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 270 of the Fun with Cars, Formula One, and Other Motorsports podcast, or episode 4 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the piratiest nerd in the world because he works for Ars Technica, Jonathan Gitlin. Oh. Hey, Jonathan. Oh. Hello. <laughs> Yar. <laughs> now, I, I how, how many years? How many years have you been doing this podcast? Uh this is well. I it'll be twelve years in April. Wow! I think. Yeah, that's, uh, that's and this point. is the that's the first piratey reference I think I've done for my co-host. So that's yar, a first. Yar. And and I only use the term nerd because you self-described in the last episode. I certainly do. I would consider you nothing more than a cool cat, but hey. Are you gonna are you gonna pay me in doubloons for this? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and any spare shillings we get as tips. Excellent. It is Sunday evening, January thirty first, and we're going to talk about the fifty ninth running of the tw- of the Rolex twenty four at Daytona. I have to use the sponsor name, which concluded in spectacular fashion just a couple hours ago. Okay, Jonathan, take it away, man. What do you think of the race? Uh, it was uh, it was quite some race. Um, I think what the the top five were covered by fifteen, eighteen, nineteen seconds or something with like less than an hour to go. First off, congratulations to Wayne Taylor Racing. They uh, after swapping their Cadillac that they that they won with last year and the year before um, for an Acura, they took another victory with the son Ricky back in the car, which I guess must've been special for Wayne. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, uh, I think that the only thing that's cooler about the fact that Wayne Taylor could take the victory for Acura first time with the brand is that I correctly predicted that they would win. And I'm very proud you of myself. <laughs> I'm very proud of myself for no good reason at all, but I but I still am. Uh, and it is, I, I have to say, it is truly ironic that the Penske powerhouse um, that had the Acura brand for the th- first three years could not deliver a Rolex 24-hour in those three years, despite winning two championships and a myriad of other things. But mm-hmm. first time going, Wayne Taylor just knocks it right out. You know, they might have to rename it the Wayne Taylor International Speedway. Because certainly the road course, I mean, he's he's put his stamp on it. Absolutely, um, he has. Because he's won, he's won with Cadillac power there. It, well, how many times? It's been a few. I think they said this is his fourth win in five years. You know, let me check this out. Yeah, well, it was either, it was basically, it was Wayne Taylor or Mustang Sampling it seemed, for the last few years. So they won Daytona in 2005, 2017, 2019, 2020, and 2021. Oh, so yeah, wow. five times. That's, Look at that. Uh, that's pretty good. That's not and bad. And I believe that they're also the first team to have won three in a row. So the only other time that happened... I and that's overall wins. Was, yes. So in, 19, in the 70s, I guess there was a stretch of three wins, but there was no race in 1974 because of the oil crisis. So that was three wins in a row, but it wasn't three wins in three years. So, Wayne Taylor Racing, three wins in three years. That's that's a first for, day, for, for the Rolex 24. So, I have to say, though, that, that this race was full of irony because, uh, first of all, 
uh, the, there was only one Mazda this year instead of two, and it mm-hmm. finished, and it finished on it the is. lead lap, hey. and uh, and it's they, I have to say, have and it, it 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 sounded quite good too. That four cylinder was humming along nicely. So they they got on the podium. Harry Tinknell was driving at the end, and they ended up finishing less than seven seconds behind the winner. And there was a moment where it looked really looked like Tinknell might threaten to take the overall lead. And this was with less than 15 minutes to go in the race. After 23 hours and 45 minutes, they were that uh, close. To put that in more context, after the first hour, they were, I mean, they, they had problems very early on. Um, and they were three laps down by, certainly by the middle of the race, um, which they managed to think they got two laps back through cautions. And one lap back through actually just being really fast and, and actually getting, you know, catching up with the, the leader. That was impressive. I think overall the driver of the day, though, on pure speed, was probably Kamui Kobayashi, um, who, just, who seemed to be just a bit quicker over a stint than everyone. Fastest lap overall went to Renko van der Zander. Um, yeah, but, I mean, yes. Kamui, he's got Formula One experience. He's a massive talent. He won this race three times. Yeah, well, there you he go. Went, or he's run it twice, sorry, because he came second this year. But uh, yeah, he won it last year and the year before. And he's obviously he's a powerhouse in endurance racing. He's with mm-hmm. he's with the Toyota team in the World Endurance Championship. Friend and uh, sometimes co-host of the show, Jamie Price and Kamui have a great bond together. Uh, Jamie Price calls Kamui Kobayashi his spirit animal, which <laughs> I'm not sure how that works with another human being, but it doesn't matter because. It's a kinship that uh, you have to respect, and uh, certainly we have to give Jamie Price a shout-out because he pulled another all-nighter to get the pretty pictures for the uh, 24 Hours of Daytona. So a good on him. And uh, it was Kumui Kobayashi who was driving the Mustang sampling car, which was the lead Cadillac to finish in second. And so he was, what, two or two seconds off of? Uh, four, four seconds at the end. Okay. Um, that and car, the, but that, that was due was, to traffic. I mean, they were under a second apart. You could have covered the top three with a blanket for a while. A big blanket. In fact, you could have to covered the top four with a blanket because actually, I think it was probably looking good for the O one car, the O one Cadillac with Rengo in it, uh, until that car suffered a second right rear failure, so which had happened. So Dixon lost the tire a couple of hours beforehand, I think, um, and they brought it in didn't lose too much time he actually did a masterful job because the tire went um, before the bus stop and he brought it back to the pits without doing any damage to the car whatsoever i mean it was you know i mean and normally when a tire lets go like that it starts flailing and tearing the bodywork apart because you know it's kevlar and steel straps that are spinning at high velocity and just whipping the thing to pieces Renga was a little less gentle i think when he came in because there seemed to be quite a bit of damage to the car but well uh, I, I mean scott is Scott Dixon is absolutely masterclass when it comes to this stuff as well. So it, it has to be said. But yeah, bad luck for the Chip Ganassi racing squad. You know, Chip Ganassi, they were racing uh, four GTs in the GTLM class when four GT was in the class. And mm-hmm. now... They used to, like, how many times did they win it with Scott Pruitt when oh. it was a grand, when this was a Grand Am race? This used oh, to, gosh. Oh, gosh. I don't. I know. I so I was there. I was there a few years back when they won twelve hours of Sebring. So I know it's. So I know it's been a while. But uh, that's that's about as far as I can tell you without doing oh, some I research. Yes, they. Well, I guess they only won it in twenty eleven. Oh. 
I would have thought they'd want it more often than that. Either way, um, you know, in, in the four GTs specifically, you're thinking of the Daytona prototypes pre, <laughs> yeah. pre-merger. Yes. But Scott Dix and uh, I'm sorry, Chip Ganassi is back in the lead class with the Cadillac power this time around. And they were obviously, they were front runners, did a good job. And they ended up, were they, where'd they finish overall? Were they fourth? Fifth. 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 Okay. Montoya, Montoya, the, the 60 Mike Shank car came fourth. Which was the second Acura powered car. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, the last stint, they were quite close, but over the last stint, Montoya just fell back and, and finished almost a minute off the lead. So let's uh, let's jump to the next most important class in my mind, at least, which is GT Le Mans, uh, GTLM. Your prediction was not looking so good this time. No, no, my prediction fell a bit flat this time. Although uh, my prediction did get on the podium. So again, this was uh, this was a crazy one. The two Corvettes went round for almost the entire race, a second apart from each other. Literally less than a second, often at times, just in formation, uh, and then. What was it? Two, three hours before the end, the the number three car had a problem. They had a pit stop, and uh, Nicky Katzberg was in the car, and it wouldn't fire up. And mm. all of a sudden, they lost forty seconds in the class and had dropped back down to fourth. And it was looking like you know that's incredible that you can lose forty seconds and that costs you that many places in a twenty-four mm. hour endurance race. That's just <laughs> insane. And but then they got it back. They made the time back up again, uh, and they finished one two with. The number three car taking the win, and the number four car, they were three and a half seconds off. Do you think that Corvette got some very fortunate balance of performance sent their way? You know, honestly, I didn't look at the um, – I haven't haven't looked at if there were any BOP adjustments. Because that does kind of sound like sandbagging a little bit, does it not? Mm, no, I, does it? I mean, they, they were the class of GTLM last year. They won a lot of races. So, I mean, that car, it didn't do great at Daytona, which was its first race. Exactly. Um, but, then the rest, right. but, then the rest the, but then the rest of the season, it was, the car was untouchable at a lot of races. So, no, I don't think, I think it's, I think they built a really good race car. It's the newest car on the grid. Ferrari 488 GT is getting quite old. Obviously, the Porsche got damaged very, very, very early on. So uh, before the green flag? Off. Before yeah. the green flag? Before they cross start finish? And the BMWs, um, the far the twenty four car was a contender, but again, I mean that car's a, a, a little bit older than the the Corvette too. So I think the I think it's just the Corvettes, you know, new and although I still really don't, I still prefer the way the C seven looks. I'm just I'm not a fan of the C eight R. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I I was uh, I was impressed with Corvette's pace and their discipline to be able to ring it back in, and you know, frankly, pretty comfortably take the uh take the win take the one two and be disciplined the way they were and it was jordan taylor in the number three car the winning car in that Mm -hmm. class which means that wayne taylor won overall ricky taylor won in his class and overall and his brother jordan taylor won in his class so it was a very very good day for the taylors today have you have you driven a c8 yet yes yes i have are they any good yeah i haven't yeah, they are. They're they're quite good. They're they, it is a very American take on a mid engine on a mid mid engine sports car, but mm-hmm. as you can imagine, it's a very good take. But it's just I mean, it's the C seven was a great car. The C seven is brilliant. The C eight is evolutionary 
in that sense. It does feel different and yet very much the same. It still Mm -hmm. has that Corvette essence, that Corvette presence in it, just as all the the C5, C4, C5, C6, C7 did before. Those are all the Corvette iterations I've driven. And the C8 is, is a very cool car. And just inherent physics give it a huge advantage over the C7 in terms of the street car. So uh, it, it's a very good car fundamentally. It makes, it makes a good foundation for a race car, to put it bluntly. So, yeah. As, as we saw today. Yeah, as we saw today. Um, so moving on to uh, GT Daytona. That one was uh, that was the one that surprised me the most. To be honest, a Mercedes AMG one two. I don't think any of us saw that coming. I, I think the the Lamborghinis were probably the favorite, con- considering how often they've won in the past. Well, but they've won Lamborghini, not the not the same team, but Lamborghini has won the last three years running. Mm-hmm. The the Grasa team ran into problems with both cars early on. The, yeah, GTT, I mean, it was a busy class. There's a lot, there were a lot of cars in there. I have to, if I'm honest, I didn't pay as much attention to GTD as I did GTLM and DPI. Uh, I think as we discussed on the preview show, I'd be okay if there were only, if there was just a prototype and a GT class in um, endurance racing. I completely agree with you. The To be totally honest with you, though, I'm more friendly to GT3 slash GTD than you are. Mm-hmm. I think that GTLM, those are those are more capable and more interesting cars. You're absolutely right on that point, but just the economics of them are so lopsided oh, it's compared to GT3. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so it, for me, I like the sustainability of GT3, and I do think there is there is a little bit of something cool of oh, you can. You know, you could buy one of these things theoretically and drive them. And I guess maybe it's just personal bias. I've actually driven a GT3 car and absolutely loved it. So maybe that's it. Good timing that you said that because GTLM is going away at the end of this year. Yes, um, yes. You and I, you and I discussed this after the podcast we had previewing this race. So to please elaborate, it's a shame. Was was there any official reason given? Is it just that it's so too expensive? Um, I think it's it's, decline, it's the fact that um, so GTLM is meant for manufacturer teams um, and all pro driver lineups, and they're just there. There's the manufacturers are all leaving. BMW, I think, said they're going to be done at the end of this year. I think they they indicated this was the last year they. They're only running the four endurance races this year, so right. Sebring, um, twelve uh, uh, Daytona, Sebring, Watkins Glen, and then Petit Le Mans. Right. And that's um, it for them. The Porsche wasn't supposed to be running at all until WeatherTech decided to, to buy one of the cars. The category over in, you know, they also races at Le Mans, except they call it GTE Pro. Um, right. And that category is also in trouble. You know, Porsche, Porsche's got pretty much done. Aston Martin's pulled out. So Well, and that car is, I mean, you know, I guess it was replaced because it was a 2010 for a while. Is it, It's not still a 2010, is it? The Aston Martin. The Aston no, Martin no, they replaced in... it with a Vantage two years ago. Yeah, so okay, so ago. they updated in 2018. Yeah, because yeah. it was it was the 2010 for a long the the 2010 era Vantage for a long, long time, and then they finally updated it. Yeah, I, unfortunately, that might have been an old car. It still it was still quick. I uh, the misfortune we went to Le Mans in 2017 and we're watching at the Porsche curves. 
Um, my wife and I, there were only two people cheering for the Corvette because it was a very fierce <laughs> battle between the Corvette. And we were, at the, we were at the travel destinations campsite. And so there were, everyone else there was from the UK. And they were all um, massive Aston Martin fans, obviously. And uh, it's the end of 24 hours of, you know, the moment people are drunk and belligerent. And they were quite happy when the Corvette went off in the, in the final, I think it was the last lap or the penultimate lap. Um, but yeah, yeah, so that, that yeah, the tires had just given up at that point. Yeah, but the new Vantage was quicker. But Aston Martin are done now, so they're they're out. So really, the category in both IMSA and um, WEC is is GTE Am is doing okay, but GTE Pro seems to be finished. Um, and so IMSA and GTE decided, Am is that GT3 as well, or is that separate? No, no, that's they're, they're, it's that same cars. Um, well, they're a year old. They're, you're allowed to use a year-old GTE car, which we call GTLM in America. Um, so there's no no GT3 racing at Le Mans right now. Understood. Um, okay. So so the question is, if IMSA is introducing a pro GTD class, which they are, does that, you know... So right now, if you compete in GTLM, your car is eligible for the 24 hours of Le Mans, which is why Corvette does it, for example. And if you yes. win... You know, some of the races, you get an entry. If we move to, uh, when IMSA moves to GTD Pro next year, presumably the winner winners of certain races will still get entries to Le Mans, but they'd need a different car to do it. You can't use the same car that you've been using all year in IMSA because it's not the same category. It's, you know, it might look similar, almost the same on the outside, but they're built to slightly different rules. So we'll see how it all starts to shake out. One big question is, you know, what's GM going to do? Are they going to... You know, obviously LMDH is this is the new prototype category that comes in in 2023. That could be a chance for Corvette to maybe step up and join Porsche and Audi and Acura and uh, Toyota. Whatever else, well, uh, Toyota well, as well. Oh no, I guess Toyota. See Toyota. Toyota's LMH, so they'll yeah, see them yeah. in Le Mans and maybe Daytona, but it's a slightly different rule set. Yeah, um, no, you're right. Yeah, so, apologies. So, but they might decide to continue with Cadillac as their as their uh, prototype brand. I'm not sure. I, if So GM seems to be headed more towards EVs with Cadillac. And by 2023, they might not want an internal combustion engine race car, even if it's a hybrid, you know, because the Lyric will be out by then. And whichever that other one, I think, is also coming out in 2023 that they showed at CES, there was another Cadillac EV. Um, the GMC Hummer, of course, but I'm not sure that's what you're referring to. No, no, no. There's a second Cadillac. That they specifically showed. Cadillac. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's a Cadillac EV. They showed um, a couple of very artistically framed shots that showed you almost nothing um, at CES. So, you know, GM will have theoretically at least two Cadillac EVs by then. To veer off even farther real quickly, um, Mary, Mary Barra recently stated that uh, – she intends for GM to be a full electric brand, full electric where, where, brand by 2035. All of the, GM. If, if you read the press release, what, the, what she actually says is it's an aspiration for GM to be an all-electric brand. Uh, but nowhere in there do they commit I, to having a just even... And I asked, I, asked, I asked them for clarification on this, and they gave me a kind of wordsmith answer that was not a yes or no. So yeah, it, uh-huh. it's, it was an aspiration. They're not promising... They're saying they'd like to be all EVs because they also say they're going to continue developing internal combustion engines also in the same in the same press release. So yeah, but that- first of all, John, I thought you already knew that I do not know how to read. Second of all, okay. <laughs> second of all, um, of course, they're hedging as heavily as possible because they don't want to get cornered into something 
if uh, trends change in a way that they didn't expect. So here's what I think might happen is, you know, the the next Corvette Z06 is probably going to be a plug-in hybrid. You know, it has that transmission tunnel that you could fill with batteries that it doesn't need a transmission tunnel because the engine and the gearbox are in the back. Um, But you could fill that that thing with batteries and put an MGU in the front. Um, And at that point, you know, if you have a, a hybrid Corvette, and you have these hybrid prototypes, then it makes sense to, to do Corvette as your top um, you know, factory program. Um, and I think that, that's what I'd like to see, because I'd like to see Corvette challenging for the overall win at Le Mans and at Daytona um, and Sebring, and, you know, Petit Le Mans. So I think that would be cool. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, just so to get back to the race itself, um, I do want to briefly state that in LMP2, the winning car was the number 18, uh, Orica. And mm-hmm. in LMP3, this is a fun one for me, actually. Uh, the winning car uh, was the number, 70, number 74, and it was driven by IndyCar driver Spencer Pickett. And mm-hmm. uh, that LMP3 won by, I think, three laps over the – so that three was – laps. Yeah, the LMP3 was the least competitive of the group. And the other thing that was interesting to me is the G, the lead GTLM cars were ahead of the lead LMP3 cars. All of the GTLM cars were ahead. Well, there you go. The LMP3 was not the clown show I was expecting. But it wasn't far from it. The, it, it started off badly. The first hour of the race was very scrappy and there were a whole bunch of cautions. Um, but then they kind of settled down. And actually, the one, the one big incident with an LMP3 car and a um, and a, another car that was when the LMP3 leader was taken out by the Risi Ferrari who was, <laughs> a, was yeah it was uh, yes it was James Collado who just dive bombed him in a kind of really opportunistic move and yeah normally it's um, well I suppose Ferrari's taking out prototypes is right but normally you'd expect like you know the lower class the Ferrari that was a lower you know formula than the prototype would Anyway. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say dive bomb. I mean, because I would think that the LMP3 would be stronger under braking. It was, uh, they were coming into turn one. It was just a um, an opportunistic move. I see. Okay. It's been a long race. I'm sorry. I mean, I've been awake for most of it. So <laughs> you, may have to, you may have to fact check me with a voiceover. Well, it's it's quite all right because I think that it's fun to have the raw Jonathan Gitlin to give us give us the real take. So I certainly appreciate it. So what were I mean? What were the big takeaways for you? What what did you come away with most impressed and or surprised by this race? Quite how competitive it was in certainly in DPI in GTLM and in GTD. You know, I think we said before in the pre-race show that you know I couldn't predict who would win, and and I think that was true. You know, with 15 minutes to go, which is, I think that's, you know, that's the mark of a great race. If 24 hours, 23 and hours and 45 minutes of racing and you five cars could still win overall. I mean, that speaks to a really competitive series. Absolutely. I, I was actually, I, I said I was impressed with LMP3, that it wasn't um, the disaster that I thought it could be. The cars, a bunch of them had problems. I think this is the, the, the biggest kind of 24-hour race any of them have done. They're... LMP3 cars have competed at the 25 Hours of Thunder Hill, but that's obviously a you know more of an amateur level event, or a, you know it's not quite at the same profile as as, as it's as lower level pro am. I think right. maybe you could say. 
Um, the I one know thing that was journalists occasionally get invited to compete in it, so can't be that <laughs> the, the one thing, the one, the one thing that was interesting was that the that category um, had a special rule that if they wanted to do a brake change, um, they could do that mid race, but it had to they had to take a minimum of eight minutes because um, the the car is not really designed as an endurance racer. So it wasn't designed with quick brake changes in mind. You know, if, if you're the, with the DPI cars, you know, they have um, dry couplings and floating calipers. and Yeah, you can do a brake change a in a minute. It's, an, it's yeah. an, um, an amazing feat to see. Right. Whereas, whereas with LMP3, you know, it's an eight-minute job. Um, and they made it, they made it, they set the time because they didn't want people rushing. And, you know, you obviously you don't want to, you probably don't want to rush a brake change. <laughs> No, um, no. If you don't have a if you don't have a quick change kit, um, I'm picturing someone with a 20 ounce down. Coke bottle and a plastic tube. Okay, all right, mm-hmm. all right, push, yep. pump. Okay, hold. Bleeding the brakes. I don't know. Yep. It's a fun little my moment of reminiscing of what it would be like to change the brakes, just as I do in my driveway. It'd probably be uh, a little bit hotter, maybe than than the driveway. <laughs> Perhaps. So. Know, do you do do you do you bomb around the neighborhood and make sure you have them glowing before you put in the driveway? <laughs> pop the wheels off. I mean, it depends. If I was smiling, yes, that that's uh, that was the reason why. Um, yeah, no, I have to say the fact that the DPIs put on such a fantastic show, 100% agree with you that uh, it was it was impressive to see. And I think that since the GTALM is is very much on a swan song kind of season at the very least, that they put on a fantastic show as well even though it wasn't quite as hair-raising as DPI. Do you think the right Corvette won? What do you mean by that? So the uh, it, it seemed like for a lot of the race, Nick Tandy was, was just a little bit faster in the four. But maybe not. Maybe they were just... Oh, you know, interesting. So I'm wondering if... You know, the three had a lot of good luck last year and the four had a lot of bad luck. The three won the championship. And if something could go wrong in a race, it was usually the number four car. So... And it looked like, you know, they changed one of the drivers. Oliver Gavin left the team. He was in, he was racing in the, one of the Lexuses, which they both ran into trouble. Uh, and that's a, actually a DT, GTD storyline that um, is worth mentioning because the Lexus team was very strong, certainly at the beginning of the race. Uh, and, but both cars spent time in the, you know, behind the wall in the garage, which at this level of racing, you can't afford to do anymore. You know, as, as yeah. we saw, it was a flat out sprint and, um, you know, you need to be perfect to win. That unfortunately wasn't the you know the, the Lexus, Lexuses, Lexi, Lexuses both had both had issues. Where was I? Oh yes, Oliver Gavin had left, so they got Nick Tandy, ex former Porsche factory driver. Now exactly Corvette, right. And he was and he was so quick. I mean, he was you know we we know Nick Tandy's a great driver, and you know Tommy Milner was also extremely fast. Uh, Alexander Sims actually set the fastest lap in that car. But at the end of the day, they finished just behind the number four. And uh, I think that we have to say that the argument you made for endurance racing, I think that this iteration of the 24 Hours of Daytona definitely fulfilled the excitement, that the buildup that we mentioned it was. It was brilliant racing. The entire, you know, the few moments that I could really watch was really sparingly, unfortunately. But everything I saw, there was really interesting things going on. And even though there wasn't, you know, these huge rainstorms that threw curveballs, there was there was fantastic racing throughout, and there was a lot of storylines to follow throughout, and it was just a great, great race. And I'm really sad that I couldn't have been there. Same, just yeah. the same thing. 
you know, having been there last year and the year before um, and in 2016 uh, to not be there this year. I mean, we weren't there with good reason. And in fact, speaking of coronavirus, uh, Antonio Garcia, one of the drivers of the number three Corvette, um, tested positive mid-race for COVID. And, yeah, uh, which is just incredible, which gives us the exact reason why we weren't there and justifies why we weren't there. But at the same time, it's still sad. And I certainly more than anything else, I hope that uh, Mr. Garcia feels no symptoms or light symptoms and recovers fully and quickly. But it's... Yes, it's get well soon. Antonio. Yes. Yes, exactly. But it's a very we're still we're still very much in the thick of our our fun little pandemic here. Pierre Gasly in F one also just tested positive apparently. No, I did not know that. Wow. Yep. Yeah, well, thank you very much for bringing an F one tie into the show. I would not have expected Mister Endurance to do that, but hey, I, so I certainly well, welcome now, it. So that's now Lewis and Lan- and Lando and um, and Perez. Yeah. Uh, and Perez, yep. yep, and Lance. Didn't Lance have it because he went well, to Switzerland? Yeah, I guess he of- did actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep. Lance Stroll had it as well. Yeah, yep. yeah. Well, it's far from over, and now we have new fun variants to worry about. So, uh, yeah, that's just beginning. But that is not what this uh, podcast is for. So, um, any any closing thoughts about the 2021 24 Hours of Daytona, sir? Um, yeah, those, the one thing I think was a little bit surprising was uh, how much trouble the LMP2 class had um you know they were Mm. quite spread out um the first there were two cars on the same lap but then the first three retirees were all lmp2 cars and the category just you know they didn't seem to be able to hold up as well which is strange because you know that car is obviously designed for you know you'd go look at Le Mans and often LMP2 is the best category. You know, the, the last couple of years has been really good. Yeah. Um, or in WEC, uh-huh. you know, LMP2 can be great. Um, but it was, uh, they just didn't, just didn't hold together quite so well this year. But Daytona is yeah. a tough race. You know, it's uh, a lot of nighttime running. It gets cold. The, you do many more laps than at Le Mans. You know, there's a lot more traffic. The, the density on track, there were 50 well, cars this yeah. year on a three and a half mile track. Three and a half miles instead of nine. It, it yeah. certainly does that. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's you, people are, there are many more people are tripping over each other all the time and it's, it's more, more frantic. Absolutely. I came away mostly just really happy to see how strong the DPI category looks for this year. The fact that Mazda's single entry looks strong. The fact that Acura is clearly still going to be here to compete and the Cadillacs Obviously, no one was concerned about their performance levels. So I think we've got a cracking year for the top category in IMSA, and I'm looking forward to that. And as we mentioned before, I'm looking forward to see how uh, GT Le Mans wraps up. But um, I think that will be it for now. Next podcast will be Christopher Roche again. It will be Formula One again. And uh, Jonathan... Mr. Gitlin, you will be joining us soon as well, maybe even to talk Formula One. I don't know exactly what will be coming soon, but if I don't talk to you sooner, we will definitely get together to chat about the 12 hours of Sebring, Um, but hopefully sooner than that. That's the plan. In the meantime, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com, which I do check, so please do that. As always, I can be reset feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars and check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. 
Jonathan, great to chat as always. Am I allowed to go to bed now? You are allowed to go to bed, but only for a power nap. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.